0: Amen. In the spirit of uh, worship, let's just begin in prayer. God, we just surrender ourselves to your leading this morning. Um, we put, fix our attention on you. We look to you and we just ask you to speak to us in a profound and personal way. We know that you are a communal God and, and, and we've seen in, at Christmas time that you desire to be with us. So we look to you and we ask you to speak. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Awesome. You can be seated at this time. Thank you, Larry and team. I appreciate it. Four years ago, my wife and I were in uh, Baker City, Oregon during Christmas time, and it was the middle of a freezing, cold Eastern Oregon night when my sleep was interrupted by an orange glow coming from the second-story bedroom window that we happened to be sleeping in. I couldn't, for the life of me, think what in the world it could be. So out of curiosity, um, I finally sat up, pushed the curtain aside. And to my surprise, there was 30-foot flames shooting into the sky in the near distance. And in sheer panic, I woke up Allison, I ran downstairs, and I started screaming, fire, 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 waking up the household. Um, We woke up the family not knowing what to do. We ran to the front door um, to see what was happening, and a building, in fact, had erupted in flames a couple doors down, and it was soon going to consume our neighbor's house and potentially our house. And as we're staring at the flames in sheer amazement and awe and fear, we hear a loud thud and a shake underfoot. The noise that we heard was the sound of my mother's head bouncing off the bookshelf as she passed out in the entryway of our front door. As sirens begin sounding, my father begins to scream to my sister, you need to move your car. It's too close to the fire. Get it out of there so that it doesn't get burned. So she jumps into the car, and out of panic, she floors the accelerator, running over the massive fire hose <laughs> almost destroying her car or the fire hose but luckily neither one of those happened my my mother snaps back into consciousness my sin- sister enters the house and we are all faced with a decision what things are most valuable in this house <laughs> what things are most valuable assuming we have a very short time to grab our belongings what is most important my first thought was well we spend a lot of time watching tv maybe this thing is pretty important Um, But then again, maybe not. It's big. It's an easy replacement. It's really not all that valuable. My mother shouts a really good idea, go get the photo albums. I'm like, aha, something that you cannot replace, photo albums. So for the next hour, we're trying to discern what is important as we bring it outside and throw it into the truck. As you can imagine, I'm just running back and forth, throwing random things. Oh, yeah, kids. I'm so sorry. Little ones. (laughs) Yes. Yes you're dismissed. (laughs) With that in your mind, go ahead and go to your classes. (laughs) They're like, I want to stay now. This is crazy. Um, Okay. That, yeah. We'll work on that for the service. that's not happening after this, but um, so we're throwing item after item into the truck. And the, the point that I want to make is this right here. When time is of the essence, our value systems change. When time is of the essence, our value systems change. What if I were to tell you that we are starting a new year, but don't be fooled because time is in fact of the essence. It is limited. What if we started this new year with the sobering and often forgotten fact that time this side of heaven is very short? Have we convinced ourselves of the alternative? Do we often convince ourselves that we have another day? Do we often convince ourselves that we have more time than we really do? And if time truly is limited, as we will see in the scriptures today, how might that change the things that we value in this new year? Um, There's this old Jewish phrase that I think captures what I'm getting at. It goes like this, man plans, God laughs. Man plans, God lasts. For those of you who don't know, I lead youth ministry here at Cedar Mill, and we've been walking through the book of James. And the message that you're going to hear today for some of the youth, it's going to sound really familiar because we've been talking about this very thing. Um, And as I was praying about this new year and our church family as a whole, it became abundantly clear that the words of James are what we need to start the new year off with, to frame up the new year, to the lens in which we need to view the new year. I could bore you with a bunch of statistics on how New Year's resolutions flop. I could go in, you know, the classic New Year's sermon. I'm not going to do that. Instead, we're going to just talk about how life is short and we need to live in an urgent and intentional life. Does that sound good? Awesome. God's word, James 4, um, 13 through 17. It goes like this. Now listen. You listening? You who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know? Why? (laughs) Sorry. Do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and does not do it, it is sin for them. Our lives are indeed mist opportunities. They are short, here one moment and gone the next, but life on this side of heaven is bursting with potential and opportunity. It's bursting with potential and opportunity. Time is of the essence and may we make the most of the short time that we have. The theme of this chapter that James writes is something that we often want to avoid talking about, but it's the fleeting and and false security of wealth. This whole chapter is about the false security of wealth. Money and wealth give us a false sense of security. Money and wealth allow us to live a life that is seemingly predictable and controllable. Like if I just had enough money or stability, then I can control my wife, uh, my life, it, it, my wife. <laughs> yeah, No, nope, not even money will do that. <laughs> no. oh, that's, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> money, <laughs> money and wealth, they do cause us to believe that we have more control than we really do. Have you felt that before? It's like, man, if I just had a little bit more friends, make no mistake. Worldly riches and wealth are a mirage. Worldly wealth and riches are a mirage. Worldly security. Things like popularity, if I could just get a few more people to notice me. Things like good health, like fitness, you know, things like success and status can be here one moment and gone the next. Don't live this short life fooling yourself with false security. There's a guy that you may be familiar with. He was adopted into an average American family. He struggled in school but became very successful, and he's one of the most successful people in moving forward the technology that we use today, this thing right here. In, In 2011, he was worth nearly $10 billion. In terms of wealth and success, this man had reached the top. The only problem with financial security is that it's a mirage. In 2011, Steve Jobs died at the age of 56. His security wasn't all that secure at the end of the day. Wouldn't you agree? John D. Rockefeller, the founder of Standard Oil Company, who was the first billionaire in the U.S., was once asked by a reporter, sir, how much money is enough? He calmly replied, just a little bit more. Isn't that the world we live in? How much, is, how, how much followers is enough followers? Just a few more. How much money? Just, just a few more. How many experiences? Just a few more. Just a few more vacations. Isn't that the poll over us in the western world just a little bit more. James is sobering us up to the plans that we make and asking us to consider, are we making plans fooling ourselves that we have secure lives on our own accord with our own wealth and our own pursuits? Or are we making plans knowing that life is fleeting? It's here today could be gone tomorrow. So so we start taking every moment as a gift and ask God to direct our lives. Does our life exist for the purposes of God or for the purposes of self-protection and false security? Friends, I have the honor of presenting to you today the best news that you will hear in 2023. That's a very bold statement. You might be like, very conceited. My boast is in the Lord, though. (laughs) The most secure life that you can find is found on the other side of a surrendered life to the will of God. If you're looking for true security, maybe you've walked in feeling really insecure for, for a variety of reasons. If you're looking for true security, if you're looking for a life of meaning and purpose, look no further than the bloodstained cross and the empty grave. That is where true life is for now now and forever, starting now, lasting forever. If you've been going about life unfulfilled, unsatisfied and grasping for security, you can leave this building saved now and forever and and many of you have already made that decision and you're like man it is the most secure thing with so many uncertainties boy do i live a secure life when a lot of people hear a message like this in james they draw conclusions that are inaccurate so i i want to say a few things that i'm not saying some of you might be hearing things that i'm not saying i want to clarify i'm not saying you aren't in control so you can make all the plans you want, and chances are God has made different plans, and his plans are going to work, and your plans are not. So just don't plan. Like, just go with the flow, bro. Like, the passage is not saying don't make plans. And I'm also not saying the flimsy and often confusing truth that, that goes like this. God's in control. Absolutely. But is, is that what James is getting at here? Is, is that what he meant to communicate when he wrote, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Your life is a mist. Is he saying I'm in control? I don't think that's what he's saying. I believe the point that he's getting at is this. We don't know what's going to happen in life, but we, the people of God, the body of Christ, we want to be submitted to God's goodwill, even in the throes of unpredictability. We're submitted to God's will, whether it goes this way or that way, good or bad, submitted to God's will, submitted in the midst of unpredictability. And when James says, if it's the Lord's will, we will do this or that, that's another way of saying we want to live under God's blessing, that that he will direct our lives rather than we directing our own lives, that our lives are submitted to him. So if he tells us to do something, we will do it, even if that contradicts our plans Or threatens our sense of security. That's a life of faith. Irma Bombeck clearly understood this as she famously said, when I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would have not a single bit of talent left and could say, I used everything you gave me. What a beautiful and compelling vision for a life well lived. I love that. Um, If you read through the gospels, Jesus is constantly talking about Money. The one thing we hate talking about. In fact, 11 of Jesus's 39 parables are teachings on the topic of wealth and money. Uh, Jesus saw money and the fake security that it provides us as one of the greatest threats to our discipleship. And, and here's, here's the way that he spoke of money. You're probably very familiar with this text, but I got to bring it up. Matthew 19. Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Let me clarify, Jesus isn't saying money is bad. The invitation from James and from Jesus here isn't to avoid money and wealth at all costs. Like, you want money? Absolutely not. The invitation is to relinquish everything, every part of your life, and to understand the true security that is found in Christ and Christ alone. So our plans relinquished. Our futures, our finances, our sexuality, our dreams submitted to the lordship of Jesus and to God's good direction. You can plan, of course. You can earn money, but we are to hold both with open hands. Open-handed living. For if and when God asks for them, because he knows better than we how to serve him in his kingdom. So Jesus is our ultimate security, not the, the the riches or the security we build for ourselves on this side of heaven. So do not, if you hear anything, do not be fooled by false foundations in this new year. Do not be fooled. Um, as I was preparing for this message, I, I, I couldn't stop thinking about how relinquishing our plans is such a nuanced and confusing concept Um, We often talk about giving God our future. If you've been in the church for a while, we, we use language like that, like, God, I surrender my life to you. I give you my future. But technically speaking, we don't have a future to give him. Like we have the potential of a future to give God, which is great to surrender, but we don't own tomorrow or next week or next month or 2023 or next decade. We technically only have this day. We have today. Giving God that which we don't have yet is impossible and also what I've seen to be true is a common excuse, maybe even for myself too. Like I can't tell you how often I've heard, I'm really going to buckle down and follow Jesus after this sports season. Or, or once, the, once the summer hits and things chill out, then I'll really start reading this thing. Or like, I, I'm really going to follow Jesus after finals. They're just crazy right now. Or once I get into college, like when the campus ministries are there, I'll definitely find a church, you know? Like that's an easy excuse to use because technically speaking, we aren't guaranteed there's going to be time after finals or once sports are over, right? We fooled ourselves into thinking that we have more time. The truth is we don't have tomorrow, we only have today. And this concept is actually really powerful, and it's used often in Celebrate Recovery and Alcoholics Anonymous. It's encouraged, as many of you may know, to take life a day at a time. Have you heard that before? Take life a day at a time, Uh, meaning long-term commitments are daunting and unsuccessful compared to waking up and remaining sober for 24 hours, and then waking up the next day and doing the same thing, and then waking up at the next day and doing the same thing. James is giving us a vision of open-handed living that says this, Jesus, you can have my day today and everything in it and then making the same commitment tomorrow. Jesus, of course you can have my life. Of course you can have 2023, but you can have today and everything in it. And then tomorrow I'm gonna make the same decision. I wanna challenge you with this question, which the the students were challenged earlier, um, a couple weeks back. What in your life is causing you to hand God a rain check? As if to say, God, I can't follow you right now, but you come back with this puppy and you cash it in when it's more convenient for me, you have my devotion. What is causing, where are you most tempted to hand God a rain check in your life? If you're in a season of life where you have to forfeit your dedication to the Lord for a season of busyness, I would say abandon that thing. Jump ship on that thing. Are you distracted? Abandon the thing that is distracting you. Have you been on your phone too much lately? Get rid of that thing. Are sports bad? Absolutely not. Is having a job bad? Yes. No, I'm just kidding. No. There, there are so many good things that become God things if we're not careful. Good things that replace God things if we are not careful. These things become a threat to our faith when we have to put our our faith on pause to pursue them. You guys know the tension that I'm talking about. Okay. If we can't possess a wholehearted devotion to Jesus and pursue these other things, the other things simply aren't worth it. They're not worth it. And man, that's so much easier said than done. That is so much easier said than done. Jesus compares this type of living to amputation. He, he said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut that thing off. If your eye does the same thing, he, he instructs to gouge it out. And he's, then he goes on to say, it's better to lose a part of your body than for the whole thing to be thrown in hell. That's very strict language. In other words, this is what he's saying. Go to great lengths to eliminate things that distance you from God. Go to great lengths to distance, distance yourself from anything or anything that, that distances yourself from God. So Jesus, he's obviously speaking metaphorically, but the point is this, we need to take drastic measures in 2023. We need to take drastic measures when it comes to our pursuit of the Lord. We need to embrace redemptive suffering in this new year, rejecting the status quo of false security and latching on to the robust security of Christ. Greg Boyd says it like this. I believe this is the most prevalent and tragic misunderstanding that afflicts contemporary Western Christianity. We make a vow to submit our life to Christ, but then spend 99% of our time excluding him from our awareness. We make him Lord over our life in theory, but we do not make him Lord over most of the moments that make up our life. If we can't discern God's presence in our day-to-day lives, it's unlikely that we'll be able to find him at a revival or a spiritual event. The big, the grand, the spectacular can certainly grab our attention and make us feel like God is present and moving, but the work of abiding is to be aware of God's presence in the world around us, in the everyday. Cedar Mill, let's put God before us in the everyday stuff of life. In this new year, may we be attentive and aware and make him Lord, not in theory, but in the real every day, like I have 24 hours, the moment by moment kind of stuff. Blaise Pascal says it like this, inattention is the greatest enemy in the spiritual life. Inattention, being distracted, I'm dreaming of an attentive 2023 where we value the things of God over the pursuits of the world. In the gospels, Jesus is constantly inviting his followers into action. You'll hear things like this. Um, he'll say, look, he'll say, see, listen, take heed. In other words, pay attention to what is happening. Don't be lulled to sleep. Stay awake because we know that the enemy is lurking around like a hungry lion waiting to devour someone. Be ready because our times are uncertain. Our times are uncertain. One, one pastor cleverly defined it like this. Life, this is how he defines life. The school of learning to cope with uncertainty. Does anybody agree with that? Is that a good definition of life right there? <laughs> learning to cope with not knowing what's coming next. Uncertainty is not just about not knowing what's coming up. It's sitting in the intruding dread that what may come will not be good. It's a very likely possibility different types of wealth convince us that we have security and stability that we really don't have. And in the, in the human condition, there's generally four coping methods. And I've seen these play out in my own life, and I've seen these play out in a lot of the lives of, of the people around me. And you might be able to um, relate with some of these, but four basic coping methods. Blame. When you don't know what's happening, blame, which is finding an enemy to take all your fears and angers and hurts and direct them at that one person or that one thing. like It often brings people a sense of peace to have a person or situation to blame in the midst of uncertainty. Anybody been doing any blaming lately? Yes, I'm the first to say I have been. Because after all, like if you're uncertain and scared, you can at least be certain about who or what. Um, it is that you don't like, right? Uh, The other is magical or wishful thinking. Like, this is overly optimistic thinking. Like, it's all going to be fine. Like, we'll get through this better than ever. New year, new me, (laughs) you know? Like, everything everything is going to be fine in no time. It's kind of like to plug your ears and close your eyes and to go, as soon as I open them, everything's going to be good. Um, Another one is prediction. Like, people become obsessed with trying to predict what's coming up next. They're like, I don't have any, any control, but if I like predict what's happening next, then maybe I can be ahead of the curve and maybe figure out what's going to happen. Another one, obsession over things that you can control. There's very few things that you can control in life, but this is when you, when you go, I can control my schedule, I can control very few things, but I'm really going to control those. And the most unhealthy moments is when you try to control other people. But we indeed live in a world of uncertainty and many of us have found ourselves coping in these ways or to be honest a lot worse of ways <laughs> but james gives us a better alternative he explains in order to give us vision for how to live he he doesn't say now now make no plans in life just just go on no plans aren't bad if you think about it jesus had a plan right He made plans. Following Jesus doesn't happen without plans. No one wakes up one day and goes, holy smokes, I look just like Jesus. (laughs) It takes planning. It takes intentional living. God's spirit does not empower helpless puppets, right? It it takes eager and willing people to be empowered by God to do that which they cannot do on on direct self-effort. So we make plans, but we hold them in open hands, palms up, and step into the near shapeless fog of the future. That's what we're being invited into as we follow Jesus, like trusting that he is our true security in life. And I want you to contemplate how freeing would it be to live your life fully trusting in the Lord? What things would be different? Like, what would you leap into and step into boldly this year if your security was fully in Christ? Like, I'm not looking for popularity. I'm not looking for success. I'm not looking for achievements or any of these things. Like, I'm fully secure. What kind of things would we jump into with sheer confidence? Like, Lord, I trust you. I trust that you're going to lead me. And 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 I know that you're going to do it. And I'm just available to your to your guidance. What kind of peace would you have in this new year? If your life was built on the firm and eternal foundation of Christ and Christ alone, does anybody hunger for that? Piper says it this way I'm I'm wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in, I start to love what others love, I start to call earth home. Before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs and using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the war. I don't think much about people perishing. Missions and unreached people drop out of my mind. I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace. I sink into a secular mindset that looks first to what man can do, not what God can do. It is a terrible sickness. And I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset. I love that last line there a wartime mindset. If I could inspire anything within the church today, it would be to develop once again a wartime mindset, one that recognizes the spiritual battle that we're up against and live lives accordingly. Life is too short to be distracted by shiny and temporal things. I, similar to Piper here, am so inspired by many of the people in this room here who have encouraged me and reminded me of the war that we're in, that, that, that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but there's some spiritual things that can only be combated with spiritual matters, with spiritual means. Uh, it's, it's funny, Piper goes on to say, and I think this is important to point out, is that America is the first culture in jeopardy of amusing itself to death. Like, may this not be so for us. May this not be so for us. May this not be so for Christ followers in a time like this. Like, if you've read about the early church in the book of Acts, there's this story that I want to read to you. Um, It's really profound. It says this in Acts 17 5 through 8. But the Jews were jealous, the religious leaders were jealous of what was going on in the early church, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. They, they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting this, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities... Um, were disturbed when they heard these things the early church indeed turned the world upside down christ followers have an early reputation of turning the world upside down not joining it but turning it upside down christ followers have an early reputation of banking it all on christ even at great costs they knew that nothing could be more secure than a life found declaring jesus as lord with both their mouths and their lives C.S. Lewis has a famous line that goes like this. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. A church that turns the world upside down is one that is committed to great causes rather than great comforts. What a vision for 2023. A church that's committed to great causes rather than great comforts. I plead with you today to dream big for your family in this new year. Not to have 10 unachievable New Year's resolutions, but dream big for your family. Dream big for this church in 2023. Dream big for your life and the cause of Christ in this world. Don't give God an ambiguous year. Yeah, God, you can have my year. Give him today and then wake up tomorrow and do the same thing. Make the same decision. Time is of the essence, my friends. My application today is simple but profound kind of comes from Carl Barth has this famous line that goes, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. So this is our prayer for this new year. Jesus, today is yours and everything in it. That's our application. Jesus, today is yours and everything in it. And what's going to be our prayer tomorrow? Jesus, today is yours and everything in its many. um, I think this is a great, great time to transition this. Many of us were popping open uh, sparkling cider bottles um, last night to ring in the new year. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But this morning as a church, um, we're going to take in a different drink, a more uh, life-giving drink, one that offers our lives the security and the hope that we all long for. We're going to anchor ourselves in the realities of the cross of Christ by taking communion together as a family. And on this New Year's Day, may the cross mark our year as we pursue the cruciform life. May the cross mark the beginning of our year. Um, As kind of a devotional thought. Here's what John Stott says in his book, The Cross of Christ. Insistence on security is incompatible with the way of the cross. Dang it. (laughs) What daring adventures the incarnation and the atonement were. What a breach of agreement and dignity that almighty God should renounce his privileges in order to take on human flesh and bear human sin. Jesus had no security except in his father. So to follow Jesus is always to accept at least a measure of uncertainty, danger, and rejection for his sake. We partner with Christ in this uncertain time when we take in communion and we say, Jesus, you are our only hope. You are our only security. You can have my day and everything that's in it. I'm gonna read the scriptures about Jesus introducing communion to his followers, how it went down for the first time. And then after I'm done reading, I'm just gonna invite you up to take communion uh, with the people around you or with your family or on your own, however you see fit. And then we're going to respond by worshiping God um, for a couple more songs here. So Luke 22, when the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, Cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. At this time, the tables are open in the front and in the back. Please spend time reflecting on the cross and take communion whenever you're ready, and we'll respond in worship.